turn in the word. And um, I'm going to uh, be reading just a few verses with you. Um, if you can, uh, if that's Adam up there, Genesis 3.1, and then we'll go to Revelations 12.9. So we're going from front to back, and then we're going to go to uh, 1 Peter 5.7. Genesis 3.1, and uh, my thought tonight, and I probably won't go real long. I'm not as sure Sister Wright does, but no, I probably won't go too long. So you might get out early, but it's nice and cool in here tonight. So... Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And if you'll turn to Revelations 12, verse 9, 1 Peter 5, 7, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. So we're going beginning to end to sort of the middle, or middle of the New Testament. Come on, guys. First Peter 5, 7. What's that? Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we read that. Man. I'm getting old. God have mercy. And the great dragon was cast out, and the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Sorry. Sorry, Adam. Forgive me. Um... First Peter 5, 7. Uh, and, and then go to 8 two, after that. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Father, I let this word come forth, God. And anoint these ears and this voice to speak forth, Lord, what you would say tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, you can put that first slide in their PowerPoint. Our, our uh, tech group is just really phenomenal here. They, are, they can go from PowerPoint to, uh, to verses to all that. Um, when I was uh, in Africa with Brother Middleton uh, many years ago, we were in Zambia, and we were uh, doing a crusade. And in that crusade, Sister Laura, you were there, Brother Whaley, you were there. And I, I don't know if you were, were you in the Jeep when the lions came up? Were you two? Oh, you missed it. Sorry. Okay. Well, we were uh, on a safari, and um, and uh, it was at dusk, and we were driving about, and um, I was sitting in the front, and there was about five or six people with us, and we drove right into a lion's den. I mean, literally we into a lion's den, and... Um, you know, at first I, I was like, "Wow, this is this is awesome," and and I and I thought, leaned, leaned over to the tour guide, and I said, "Now you you do have a gun under that seat, right?" And uh, he just looked at me. He just stared at me. He goes, "Shh, be quiet." And um, and I began to worry just a little bit because I didn't see any gun, and it was an open jeep. So I mean, literally, and no exaggeration here. It was like five, ten feet from there, and he is coming by. And if you've never experienced this, go to the zoo. And ex- you need to exper- I'm serious, you need to experience this. That, that lion roared like I have never heard a lion roar. And not that I hear it a whole lot. But, I mean, the ground shook. Now, Brother Milton was on the floor, and I had to unglue him. 
I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry, I, I got the mic, or you got a mic over there too. And um, and so you know what we you know thankfully the line didn't attack. But he but he was doing one thing. He was ensuring that he was letting us know this was his territory, and he was marking it with his voice, and he was saying, I am the leader of this den of lions, and there was a whole bunch of, you stare into the den, and there's all these glowing eyes looking at you. I, I'm, I, there was a lot of lions there, and, um, you know, I didn't really realize how much in danger we were till later on, and Brother Wright was, was so sick because he didn't see the lions, but... Um, we were actually probably in a lot more danger than what uh, what I knew at the time, and um, and 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 so what I'm saying is, in this day, there is a uh, a roar of the lion. There is a a vibration that goes forth where he wants to mark his territory, and the Bible says, "Be sober and be vigilant." And when we and the the, the Satan. The Lucifer roars like a lion. But when we resist him, he has no power over us. And in this last day, Satan has risen up. And he is, you know, he is gone from Revelations. I mean, from Genesis. I really am getting old if you look at the gray hair there. From Revelations, Genesis, to Revelations. Count, count the gray hair. To, to, to Revelation, when you, when you look at that, you see Satan begins to grow in stature. He comes out as a subtle serpent. And, and the Hebrew word, and Brother Batrombi is not here to correct me, but he's watching online so he can tell me. But the, the Hebrew word for serpent is actually has to be pronounced with a hissing sound. And the Bible says, he will bruise your ankle and you will bruise his head. And then we see as as the days transpire all the way to the end of our time, we see Satan grows from a serpent to a dragon. And the serpents are subtle and sneaky. The Bible says he was the most most subtle beast animal in the garden. But in Revelations he goes from, from a, a sly, a slick, a malicious slanderer to one that is in your face, up front. And I'm saying to you tonight that in this world system, things have changed. When I was at the Naval Academy, I'm just saying this and I'm sorry, if, and I don't mean this offensive in any way, but if some of the things that people are involved in and the laws have changed... That was always subtle and under undercurrent. It was never out in the open. But today it's different. Today it's just in your face. And things have changed since the 80s. Things have, have drastically shifted in the spiritual realm. And Satan in his last, in his last foray, in his last stand, is not hidden. He is not subtle. He is now in your face, and if you oppose him, and you choose to oppose him, he will challenge you face to face. 
So I'm, I'm saying tonight, there is the roar of the adversary. There is the roar of Satan in, his, in, this, in this last day. Um, several years ago, there was a young man, and uh, we were at district conference in Lancaster, and, and the bishop had contacted me, and I said I, he needed two uh, ushers to, to come up there and two young men. So I, I got two guys, one from our church, one from another church, and they were driving through Lancaster on the way up there. And uh, I'm like, well, where are you guys? It's like 6.45. And um, so I, uh, uh, I get a call, and uh, one of them begins to tell me, Brother Hughes, where, where's, where's, the, where's the closest apostolic church around? And I'm like, I have no idea. What do you think I am? Some walking GPS? I don't even know where you're at. And... Uh, it just so happened as, as they were driving along, the driver, the young man that was up front, he was the, uh, the one from our church was sitting next to him and sleeping, and, and this other one who was just driving along. And he said, you know, I felt a pulse. I felt a vibration in my spirit. And as he drew, drove, drove past this young man, uh, 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 probably about a 14 or 15-year-old, Boy, he had lost his grandmother, and that was his primary caretaker, and she had uh, she had died. He was in tremendous hurt and uh, and sorrow, and uh, and and so as as they drove by, he says, "Well, did you feel that?" And he goes, "No, I didn't feel that. If you felt that, let's just go back. What do we have to lose, other than being late for service and brother, you getting on our case?" And so they went back and uh, they. They stopped, and I don't know how awkward it is to pull your car over and you walk up to a guy on a bike with headphones on and all that, and like, hey, uh, what's going on? And they begin to witness and you know talk, and after the course of about half, 15 minutes to a half hour, they, um, they both laid their hands on him. They said, you can get the Holy Ghost right here, and the Lord can move in your life. And right there on that sidewalk, this young man began to speak in tongues, and uh, as as I uh, and a, as this happened, they, they called me and they wanted to know where they could baptize him. And like uh, I don't know, just do your best to, to go go find some place. I, I don't know where to go. So they just began to drive, just aimlessly with no GPS, no nothing. And as they began to drive, they 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 pulled up on a lot and they saw a trailer outside. And they just thought perhaps this was a place where they could baptize him. And, you know, they, they said, well, you know, who can baptize and all that kind of thing. And I, I'm like, well, I don't know. And let's just, just do whatever. And, um, and so as they, they pulled in, they realized that uh, a, a, a man came out and he said, I am an evangelist. And then um, he began to talk to them. And uh, so then they got him ready for baptism. And they, they come to find out you know, they call me and they're telling me all about this and they're going to baptize them. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, how do they baptize? In, in what name do they baptize? And I'm like, oh, brother, you, they're apostolic. I'm like, are you sure? And uh, I was just like, I, I don't think so. And uh, so doubting Thomas here or uh, began to question them. And they said, no, no, they baptize in Jesus' name. I said, put the pastor on the phone and I'll talk to him. So I began to talk to him, and I said, uh, my name is uh, Brother You," And he goes, well, I'm Brother Flosser. And uh, I said, you're Brother Flosser? 
I said, are you related to a Jonathan Flosser? And he goes, yeah, that's my cousin. And, and uh, I said, well, John's sitting right here next to me. We, we were, he, I was serving as the uh, budget and, I forget, finance chairman, and he was on, on the board with me at that meeting, and he was sitting there right there, there next to me. And I said, so you're related to John Flosser? He goes, yeah. And I said, so you baptize in Jesus' name? And he goes, yeah. And I said, you believe in the oneness of God? He goes, yeah. And I look at John, and I'm like, is, is this legit? And he goes, yeah. And uh, I, I'm just stunned. I mean, I don't know what the odds of driving up on an apostolic church and uh, running into Buddy Flosser or Brother Flosser and uh, accidentally meeting him on a perchance situation. And, and so what my thought is tonight, that there's a pulse within the world. There, there are, there are, there are two roars within the world. And one that we are supposed to ignore. There is an ignoring of the roar of Satan, of the adversary, of the slanderer. And there is another pulse. The Bible says it is a, he has a, a, uh, still small voice. Is that right? Still small? Quiet voice? I don't know how you would say that. And so unlike the lion, that had to broadcast that he was in charge, that this was his territory. There is, there is that other pulse that moves throughout. There, there is, when, when, I was in the, when I was in the military on ships and submarines, we had sonar. And that sonar w- would go forth and, and would pulse, and there would be a response back. And, and, and this evening and tonight, as a church, I'm, I'm here to tell Satan, to tell the slanderer, he can roar all he chooses to. But this is not his territory. The Bible says to resist the slanderer. That he runs to and fro upon the earth. And in his last stance, in his last foray, in his, in, his, in, in this last, in this end time, and I believe with all of my heart that we are heading to that end time. That on, on the scriptural timeline, and I certainly wouldn't do this tonight, on the scriptural timeline, that the next event for the church, for the bride of Christ, will be the rapture and the catching away of the church. I believe I can prove that. I, if you give me three hours, which I'm not going to take tonight. I'm serious. I challenge you. I, I, and I mean that with all sincerity. I believe I can prove scripturally. I don't mean that in, in a cocky or arrogant way. I'm just telling you. I believe I can, I can show that. You know, at the rapture, I just want you to know, okay, when that happens, uh, if you hear like a clanging sound, that'll be my, I, I'm, uh, someone said to me recently, they said, you look, you know, really stiff. And I said, well, I look stiff because I am stiff. I said, I said, man, I got a, I got a titanium hip and, I got, I'm getting fake stuff in my neck and all this kind of stuff. And I, I told him, I said, when I go up, you're going to see a whole bunch of stuff lying on the ground. It's going to sound like the clanging of silver. I, I said, you know, I said, it is what it is, not what I like, but unfortunately, that's what happened. But be, immediately before the rapture of the church, there is a massive end time revival. And you know what? 
I believe Antioch is at the center of that revival. I believe that we are a key player in what God is doing in the earth. For 35 years, I was, I was doing the math, you know. 35 years. I, I, I met Bishop Wright back in 1981. I'm dating myself here. And uh, he was uh, I get 35 years old. He's 70 now. He has preached the same thing consistently for 35. His stories don't vary with vivid detail. They have never varied. And, you know, I realize at times we may struggle with him because he's, as Brother Valley said, the man's a bishop. He ain't just some retired 70-year-old man. The man bishops. The other, other day, he's like, okay, which all you ministers... He texts us out. Y'all listened to my, uh, what do you call it, call to war briefing? And all of them hadn't listened. And so they all were like, we're getting in line. Yes, we are right now. We're listening to it. And, and they, they were texting pictures to them, but they were watching it right then. So, um, you know, I, I can assure you one thing, that you have a full-time, real live bishop that's going to bishop this church. <laughs> Praise God. But in 35 years of knowing him, I, I, 35 years ago, I have heard the exact same thing over and over and over again. And back then, you know, it might have been, I believe, helped out my unbelief. And I won't say in those 35 years that I have known him that there has not been some doubts at times. And I have wondered. But as we, as we head into this time and this age, as we head into... What, where I believe the Lord is taking us, you begin to see all of these things fall into place. That God, a year ago, we didn't have a building in Baltimore, Brother Simpson, Brother Valley. A year ago, we didn't own five prime acres bid at the, the, at the minimum bid on 97 and 32. A year ago, we had a different structure and within one year's time frame, Things have drastically trans changed. A year ago, the laws were different. A year ago. A year ago. And things have transpired. And I don't like them any more than you like them. When you look at this, the Bible says in Daniel 7.25, He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change Times and laws, and they shall be given unto his hand until a time and time and dividing of time. I want to ask you a question. Does that sound like today? How many, don't answer this question. How many of y'all feel worn out? I said, I said, don't answer, Isaac, Shane, what's wrong with, uh, you were just, you were just listening and trying to be obedient. Okay, don't answer this question. How many of you feel worn out? I mean, it's, it's, again, thank you. You know, you're like, look at the ameners and amen everything. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. But the Bible, the Bible says he will wear out or attempt to wear out the saints of the most high God. The attribute of Satan is he is a slanderer. He is one of malicious contempt. When you look up slanderer, one that maligns, one that injures by word, false statement, to have a horrible opinion of, to defame, 
to misrepresent. It is unprivileged communication, defamation of character with malicious intent. Or in other words, to rip to shreds. And so I'm, I'm telling you, before anything else, before the other attributes of Satan, he is first and foremost a slanderer. And he will question the identity of Jesus Christ, and he will question your identity. And he does not ever want you to understand that you are the bride of Christ, that you are the sons of God, that you are the end-time church. He doesn't want you ever to know that. And the slanderous thoughts that go through your mind, they are not, they do not come from within the Spirit of God that resides in you. But there are two forces. The Bible says our own hearts condemn us. So you get our own hearts, amen, and the slanderer, and that's a recipe for disaster. The slanderer is malicious. He calls us, Brother Simpson, a failure, a loser. You ever been, you ever been called that by yourself or by what you thought was yourself? A slanderer, a loser, futile. It'll never change in my life. You heard about the man of God that just said tonight that the addictions in his life were forever changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I know people that were on heroin, the drug that, that, that people say you don't ever get off of, delivered from heroin. I know the power of the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than any addiction. Whether it's alcohol or marijuana or heroin or whatever it may be. I've seen enough of the power of God. I uh, I had a great privilege this past week. My uh, my roommate from the Naval Academy, um, we're good friends, and he just on a whim, he lost his air conditioning. And he says, "I I need I need some help, Mike." And I'm like, "Well, what do you need?" And uh, he says, "I, I want to come down for a couple days, a week, or whatever, and stay stay with you if that's okay." And um, I'm like, "Sure, well, whatever, you know, well." I'll do that, you know, and uh, he came down and was in my house with his da- two daughters and their little dog, Moses. And, um, sorry, it was a little dog and I'm not into little dogs. Um, anyways, um, they all, all four of them came down to the house and they were there. And, and one of the things that was, uh, very moving to me, and I don't think he even knew this, his daughters began to ask me, about him, and they began to go through my, uh, my my yearbooks. What do you call them? Photographs from the '80s, and saw him at the Naval Academy in Pensacola, and all of that. And they began to ask me about what he was like. I, you know, four years together in a room, you get to know know each other pretty well. And so, you know, I began to tell them some stories, and they had never heard them before. And, and I, I you know I told them, and uh, do you know what? They were absolutely shocked. They could not imagine their dad being that way. I'm like, yeah, he was. And it so touched me because they didn't know that man. And the man that he has become, the man of God, the man that uh, I, you know, after we left the academy, he was backslidden. I was sure he would, there was like four or five of us, and they were all doing well. And he was the one I really, I honestly did not believe would ever come back. And he's come back. Not only has he come back, He's the pastor of a, of a great church that is setting last weekend a cornerstone in their new massive building 
and the others are wayward. And I hope that they, they come back. But, you know, in my mind, I'm just telling you, you know, we were best friends. And when he backslid, I went to see him. And I said, Brian, I said, if you ever want to come back, you just call me. And, uh, you know, years later, after a season of a sin, sin of the flesh, he, he called me one day and he was in New Orleans in the ER room and he, he was, his, he was in tremendously good shape, but he had a, he was having what they thought was a heart attack. And they're like, Mr. Jones, you're totally all right. We don't understand this. And, and what had happened that evening or that night, he had a vision that he was eternally separated from God. And that, that gulf that was fixed had become fixed in his life and there was no way no way to close that gap. That that breach was a permanent breach and he was forever lost. And that so terrified him that, that he, they, they called the ambulances and they went up to his, this was during Mardi Gras in New Orleans, up to his room. And you can imagine the, the festival of flesh in the Mardi Gras. And they, they took him to the ER room and he called me that, that evening and we were talking and, um, you know, and slowly, it wasn't just overnight, it came, we met at, uh, at Bush's, the old Bush's restaurant here on 50. And we had dinner together and we talked and God did a tremendous miracle and took someone that was addicted to the things of the flesh and not only delivered him. In his church, he has, uh, he, you know, he was telling me about this one family, the Burmeisters that he, he that, that have like, like the Lenin camps, have 15 kids and they, they make up half the church and just what God had, had done what God had done in that church. And if you know anything about Ann Arbor, Michigan, it is probably one of the most liberal, anti-God cities in the United States. It is the, it is the epicenter of, of, of anti-God thinking. It is the epicenter of, of, the, of the beginning of, of thoughts and, and where these laws have changed. And so I have watched God do a tremendous transformation in his life so i'm telling you tonight whatever things may have you trapped god is no respecter of persons whether it's brian jones whether it's brother middleton whether it's brother simpson whether it's brother savage whoever it may be there is the power of the blood of jesus christ to transform us and to work in our life don't ever allow the slanderer, to speak anything against against what God is doing. He shall speak great words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the God, of saints of the Most High. I, um, I debated uh, sharing this thought, but if you look into the Word of God, uh, you look into the, the book of Daniel, it describes the, the Antichrist, and uh, it says of the Antichrist, it says that he will, be, he will be one without the regard of a woman. And uh, so I won't go there right now scripturally, but it's in the book of Daniel. Daniel, I believe, somewhere around 7. And I'll just share this with you. And, and almost exclusively, the theologians, if you study out all of the commentaries, will say it's either two things. Either... He is of a homosexual nature, or he has, does not have the regard of a woman, meaning that the regard for a child or for a baby. The, 
that, that his agenda would be pro-abortion. So I say that tonight, and I say that carefully and respectfully, in this sense that, that, that I would never disrespect anybody that struggles with any of those things. And, and, and my attitude towards that, and there have been those that have been delivered from that and have become some of the greatest saints of God in our church. But, but I will say that that, that, is, that, was, that was the dual agenda of the Antichrist. And it fits today. The, if you look into the political world, and I'm not telling, telling you I like either of the candidates, but I am telling you this, the candidates that, that support either one of those positions as a Christian, I certainly would not support. But I'm just, if you look at the Word of God, it just sort of fits the pattern. Things radically changed. At the Naval Academy, last, or two Sundays ago, the laws changed. I, have no, I never believed this would happen. And I'm and, uh, still connected to the Marine Corps, and they, they are just going crazy right now as far as the laws of who can serve and what they're willing to do to accommodate alternate lifestyles and the changing of genders and, and all of that. And, you know, the Lord spoke this to me, and he says, there is a identity crisis in the world today. And if I could say it this way, there is a gender identity crisis in the world today. And there is, and I wouldn't say a gender identity crisis in the church, but I would say an identity crisis in the church. Because we are not, we are not just a second-class citizen. We are not the bastard stepchild. We are the sons of God. We are the bride of Christ. And I know you hear that all the time. I know you understand. I know we hear it preached consistently and over and over again to step up and be who we are called to be and not to take second, not to be willing to take second place to anybody. It isn't the father that determines whether or not you're legitimate. It is the mother. It was... Isaac and Ishmael had the same father and had the same origin, but it was their mother. It was Sarah and not Hagar that determined who was the legitimate heir to the throne, the legitimate heir to the becoming the bride of Christ. And so often as a church, we are willing, and I say we collectively, to take second place and to allow that confusion of who we are. One of my greatest struggles when I came into the churches, we are so small. We are so small. The Jesus name people. And I struggle with that idea. How could this be? And, and all I could say after 35 years, I am more convinced now more than ever of that there is one God and his name is Jesus Christ and that it is through the blood and the water, and the Spirit, and through repentance, and baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the infilling of the Holy Ghost, that is the true heir to Jesus Christ, that are the the true bride of Jesus Christ. There is such a confusion right now uh, within our world. There was a a young man years ago, and he was on Oprah Winfrey, um, and he uh, his name was David Reimer. You know what, up there, Adam? You can go down to his picture. Yeah, there you go. Nice guy. 
this was this is a public and I and I certainly in no way mean to embarrass him, but he um he's been on Oprah Winfrey. He he's since then died. He committed suicide a few years ago. And this young man in the course and and I don't mean this in any way of uh, whatever, um in the course of uh his uh when he was born in his in his circumcision, things went bad, if I could say it that way. So his parents and the doctor that was involved decided that they would do a gender experiment, and they, they formed him into a female. And, uh, and in this experiment, they gave him, unbeknownst to him, obviously, at eight days of age, unbeknownst to him, he never understood, he never knew that. And um, as the story goes, as he began to grow up, all of his nature was he wanted to play with trucks and not dolls. And he, and, and he or she didn't understand why. And, and excuse me for saying this, the way, you know, he would want to stand up when he went to the bathroom. And, and just, there, there was something that was missing. And he did not, or she, or whatever, I don't mean that disrespectfully towards him, did not understand and did not know. They had not told him what had happened to him and what they were doing with him and the experiment by which they were doing in his life. And, and so all of those, those just the nature of, of a young man that began to come out. And he wanted to play Army and um, Sister Holly. Are you back there, Sister Shelton? Yeah, I think Jared's, Jared was telling us about Shelton. And that Shelton uh, was saying something like, uh, everything he precedes now, well, boys don't do this. And boys like blood. And he cut himself when he didn't want a bandage. And how proud Jared was of, of Shelton. And boys don't say sorry. And... I don't know where his theology is coming from, but, you know, at least you got all boy. I don't know if you got all Christian there, but you got all boy. And, um, and, and what, I, what I'm saying to you tonight is this horrible trick, this horrible misidentification that occurred in his life cost him. And there was everything within his soul. And later on, he actually found out. And he decided, I will not live as a female. He chose to live as a male. And, and, but all of the, the frustration and the, 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 all of that resulted in his suicide at about the age of 30s. And, and I say that because there is so much confusion in the world today about who and what we are, what they are. I got a, and, and I'm going to be very careful with this, I got a call or an email I don't remember from somebody and they had asked me um they said well you know we they got baptized they got the holy ghost and they said well they had transferred over to being a female i guess and they said well how should i live and and uh you know i talked to the pastor about it and the bishop and uh you know it was pretty easy to answer that question i said you need to live as god originally created you and i understand some things are irreversible but that's how you need to live. And to the best of my knowledge, he did. And, and I'm saying these things are issues up front. Right now, the world that we live in has changed the laws of the land. They have, this is not just a small thing. We have a world that is going crazy with racial riots, with the changing of laws, with what is right and what is wrong. And the church in this day and age needs to stand up and be who she is called to be. We need to understand and not have a a gender identity crisis of who and what God 
has called the church of the living God to be. If you notice, in Luke chapter 4, when Satan... Uh, can can you all go there? Luke chapter 4, when Satan challenged before the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, when Satan challenged the Lord Jesus Christ several times, he says, if thou be the Son of God, and he questioned his identity, he questioned, if you're the Son of God, you guys, this is not a mistake of my old age here. Luke 4, when you can. All right. 4 1, 4 1. I mean, we'll just start and start reading. And Jesus being, now look at this, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So notice the progression. We are full of the Spirit, we are led of the Spirit, and when He came out of the wilderness 40 days later, He came out in the power of the Spirit. Just go down to about verse 8. Verse uh, 7 or 8. And Jesus answered, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, He knew the word of God, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then verse, uh, next verse. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle and said unto him, If, look at that, if, if, questioning his identity again, if you're truly Antioch, and if you truly have all these promises, and if you're truly the bride of Christ, what's up with that? Look how small you are. Look how irrelevant you are. If thou be the bride of Christ, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. Verse, uh, verse 10. For it is written, and notice how much he used the word, the logos. There is the, the logos and the rhema. And there's the, the, the two things that are our weapons of warfare. And as a side note, and I, I, I only go until, I'm not going until 11 o'clock tonight. But in the tabernacle, there was, on, on this side, there was the showbread. There was the bread of life. The, that was the, the logos, the, 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 the forever settled word of God. It's, it's a thing that didn't change. It was bitter on the outside and sweet on the inside. And on the other side of, of that, there was the, the candlestick, and it flowed through it oil, olive oil, which is symbolic of the Holy Ghost. And then there was the, the burning of that candle, which is symbolic, I would say, of the rhema. It was a dynamic thing. There was, it, was, it, was, it was providing light. Thy word is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then if you look into the tabernacle, the highest piece of furniture in the holy place which is in the church age, which is in the age that we are in today. It was, it was like, if you want to say it this way, uh, can, can you go, sorry guys, can you go back to the PowerPoint and go down to about the third slide? In the tabernacle, it, it literally was like this. It was like, and excuse the military terminology. If you go to my Facebook, I, I mean, there's two things that I'm just telling you. Brother Milton calls me M&M. It's military or ministry. I mean, it's just like, I post, I, I just, I really, I love that stuff. Aircraft carriers, guns, machine guns, all that kind of thing. Or it's ministry, so it's really those two things. But if you look in the tabernacle, it really was, if you want to say it, a combat V. Whenever you, I don't know, we're, Brother Jones not here tonight, but being a gunnery surgeon or a master surgeon, he would know this, that uh, tactically you always travel in, in a combat V. You have your lead man, your point man, who's in the most vulnerable position you could have 
On this side, you have a man. On this side, you have a man. So if I could say that, our weapons of warfare that God has given the church, there is the golden candlestick which lights our path. There is the oil that flows through us. It was made of beaten gold. It had 66 parts to it. 66 pieces, right? Sister Sharon, Sister Brenda. So y'all passed the, the quiz here. We're, we're in a, I'm in a phenomenal Bible study with a group of about 10 people in Bywater, and uh, I absolutely love that group. They are the most hungry group I have ever taught, and they, I'm serious, they asked me for homework. I, I, I kid you not, and I'm like, good Lord. And, and I quiz them and test them, and they asked me for this. And I'm like, and you know, other night we were there till 10.30. I was there at 10.30 and supposed to go from 7 to 8. And we just, you know, they won't leave me alone and I won't leave them alone and whatever. And, uh, but any, anyways, going over, there are 66 pieces to that candlestick. And through that, the, 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 the flow of oil flows through. As in our life, there's the flow of oil. And there should be a light that, that emanates from our spirit that comes from our soul. When they saw Stephen being stoned and on trial, there was a glow that came from his face. There was a glow. Bishop Wright tells a story after he finally broke through in tongues that his dad saw, Mac Wright saw a glow on his face. There ought to be a glow and a light in our face. There ought to be something happening in our lives. Brother Milton, sorry, he shared with me today. He says, I got this awesome revelation he said, you know, how you, you know how you know if you're right with God? And I'm like, uh, how? And uh, he says, if, you're, if your prayers are being answered. I'm like, well, okay. What do you mean by that? And he goes, the Bible says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So if you're a righteous man, then your prayers are going to be effective. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God. My prayers." Aren't that effective? Now, you know, I'm, I'm half kidding with you, and I'm half serious. I'm like, Lord, some of my, my spine prayers don't work too well. My empty vessel prayers work pretty well, you know. I mean, I wish I was batting 100, but I'm not. I'm batting about 50% right now. So um, that's how you know if you're righteous. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man has great avail, has great power. So if you wanted to test of whether or not you're righteous, if there's a hole in your spirit, if there's something going on, if there's a, if there's a breach in your righteousness, if there's bitterness, if there's unresolved sin, if there's, there's things in there that are hindering you from, from being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I know I ruined your message, but uh, you, you can preach on it next week or whatever. Then you need to examine that. I need to examine that. I, I bought my nephews, I don't know why I'm so digressing, I bought them this little little three-year-old and four-year-old, they want to learn how to play baseball, so I got them this little Velcro baseball thing, not baseball, Velcro ball, and, and, and it's pretty easy to catch ball with, you just sort of throw it up there and sort of as stick them, remember stick them? I don't, you all football players remember stick them um, back, back in the day, they don't use it anymore, but it, it, it sticks, and it's pretty easy for a, a four-year-old, so I'm playing ball with them, and they're catching, they're catching this, and they're throwing. And I'm like, good job, Isaac, good job, Anderson, you guys are catching the ball. And uh, they're loving it, and they're, you know, throwing this ball over the house, but it's sticking. And so, you know, I was, I was thinking to myself, as Brother Milton was sharing this, 
How many of my prayers stick? The empty vessels prayers, you know, the by water Bible study prayer works pretty good. The spine prayer doesn't work too good. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. But how many of our prayers just bounce off the ceiling and come back down and they don't stick anymore? That, that something's happened to that Velcro and it is ineffective. So, I'm not preaching on that thought. I'll let Elder Middleton preach on that thought. But, but in the tabernacle, there are, there are those weapons of our warfare. And, and, and we have, we have the golden candlestick and the table of shewbread, the word of God. And the highest, and this is a very poor picture of that, but the highest piece of furniture in the tabernacle was the altar of incense, which is symbolic of the prayers and the worship of the saints of God. That was highest and tallest, and it led the way. And when the Israelites went into battle, this was one of our Jeopardy questions, wasn't it? Yes. Um, When the Israelites went into battle, what went first? It was the worshipers that set the stage. They went first and, and right into the fray. And so what I'm saying to you, saying to you, there's something, Sister Bailey does a phenomenal job on the the keyboard and and the worship, yeah, Antioch has just always been phenomenal. And there's such an element, such a, such a, uh, you know, there's such a sweet presence, such a, if I could say it this way, an incision to the spirit that when we, when we come into his presence, he, he, he comes down and he fills that, that void in our life. He fills those empty places. And, and then even tonight with half the church up in Roxbury camp, there was such a, a beautiful presence and flow of the spirit of God that came into it. And such a gentleness and, and, uh, uh, I don't know how else to say it. You know, the, the Bible says that, that, uh, Oh, Brother Stone King says oftentimes, he goes, when the Spirit of God's moving, it's like a dove. You don't, you don't spook the dove. And I just, just, you know, I didn't want to ruin what was going on up here and what I felt in this sanctuary. And, um, uh, Bible says that when Noah took the dove, he released it upwards, at uh, the, the third level. And, uh, that dove went forth. And, um, just side point here, uh, that dove had nine feathers on this side. And nine feathers on this side, and five tail feathers. Well, in the spiritual realm, there are nine gifts of the spirit on this side, and to balance it out, there are nine fruits of this spirit of the spirit on this side that balances out, and then there are the fivefold ministry that acts as the rudder to direct the church. And the next time we see that dove, or we see the spirit like a dove, we see him oh, thousands of years later at the baptism at the anointing of Jesus Christ. All that's extra. That's just not part of my message. But what, what I'm saying, saying that the God, the Lord, has given us our weapons of warfare. These are our things. What is, how does the song go, Sister Bailey? Uh, not guns and bombs and all that. I, I like guns and bombs. Look at my Facebook. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be so violent. But, I mean, I like those kind of things. How does the song go? Our weapons of warfare are not bombs and guns, but our our worship is the way the battle is won. Our worship is the way that the battle is won. And we know in the word of God that when the Philistines attacked and Goliath and the Philistine army had invaded into Israel, guess what tribe they invaded through? The tribe of Judah. Exactly. I don't know who said that, but you get the credit. All right. 
the tribe of the tribe of Judah. The Bible says that the Philistines came up through Judah. And so when Satan can defeat your worship, when Satan can get you not to worship God, not to lift up your hands in praise and worship, he can defeat you. The opening of the tabernacle was in fright, and to come into the presence of God, you had to go in through the tribe of Judah. The only way we get into the presence of God, Sister Bailey, is through our worship and our praise, and we come into it, and it's it's, it's a great privilege preaching at Antioch because at Antioch, you can always step into the atmosphere where the Spirit is flowing. It's not a difficult thing. It's not a hard thing. You can step right through that incision, that incision in the Spirit, and you can begin to come right into the presence of the Lord. So we know that God has given us, given us that, that victory through those three things. You know, the... And I know you've heard this before, and I don't mean to repeat it, but I will say this, that God is taking us from a place of survival to a place of revival. It's not just a place where we just get by and we just make it for that service. There is a place now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. The Old Testament bread was miraculously given every single morning through manna. And it was gone by daybreak. If you didn't get it, you missed out. And you couldn't store it. So it was just enough for that day. But the New Testament bread from God was one that was exceedingly, abundantly, above all they could ask or think. When that young boy presented... His, what, two, what, two loaves or five loaves or, but it was loaves and fishes. And when he put that into the control, into the hand of God, God, the Bible says he blessed it and he broke it. And when he blessed it and he broke it, he fed the 5,000. He did this miracle several times. And so what I'm saying, the New Testament theology is not just enough. It's not just the manna that they do, do nothing. They just have to go pick it up. In the New Testament, you have to take what you have and you have to put God, you have to put it into the control of God's hands and you have to give to Him those things. And then when He breaks it or He blesses it and He breaks it, that's when the miraculous comes about. If, if I could tonight, and I won't go long, but I'm going to share with you, I've shared this with Brother Middleton many times. The um, story of my car. I, I drive a Mercedes Benz, a car I never thought I'd drive. It's blue and gold, and and uh, I I it was January. My lease was up, and I had a Jeep. And I'm just being frank with you. I just didn't want to hassle. I'm, I don't care. I just get me a Jeep again. I I'll just get me something we can afford within my budget. So I began to shop around, and I went to the Honda dealership, and, and I was going to get a Chevy Malibu, and and I was going to get a, a Honda CRV. And honestly, the, the, uh, not that I would be dishonest with you, but frankly, I began negotiating for the Honda CRV, and it was way out of my budget. And I'm like, good Lord, I want all this money for it. And I knew what I was allowed to spend. And uh, on a whim, I say on a whim, 
you know, there was a, a dealer and he had a car that was a year old and was sitting up in a lot in Louisiana or something like that. And it had been a demo car and they had to get rid of it that day. And um, uh, he says, well, I can give it to you for this, this price. He said, well, what do you want? And I said, I, I don't care. Just the, the best car for the least amount of money, whatever. And uh, he says, well, I got a Mercedes Benz. And I'm like, for this price? And he's like, yeah. And uh, this is, you can ask, Brother Benner's not here tonight. You can ask Sister Wright. It is the lowest cost lease I have ever had in all of my life. Seriously. Compared to $2,001. And uh, I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, yeah. But you got to do it, you know, now. And it was the middle of winter and it was not a snow. You can't drive in snow very well. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. And, uh, you know, being frank with you, when you deal with Bishop Wright, you know, he wasn't going to let me get a Honda CRV. I'm just telling you. And he, he just is that way. He's like, no. And, you know, now, Sister Wright, I was going to try to sneak it by her. If I, you know, you can get things for Sister Wright. But, you know, I knew I'd have to put up a fight with them. I, seriously, I knew he was going to be like, no. I'm not going to, you know, you're gonna need, you need to work on this, get better. And so, you know, I call him. I said, I got a, I got a, I got a Mercedes Benz. And he just about had a... He didn't have a heart attack, but he just about fell over for how much? And I told him the price, and he goes, yeah, yeah, get it. And uh, he says, well, what color is it? And I said, you'll never guess what color it is. I said, this, seriously, I said, I didn't even ask for it. They just had it in a lot. He said, it's blue and it's gold. And, uh, you know, he's like, you just accidentally? And I said, well, yeah, accidentally, I guess. And what I'm saying to you is, and Brother Milton knows this, I, I really, I had to give it to the Lord. Said, Lord, I, you know, I don't know. Nothing's working out here, and I got to get a new car, and I don't want to haggle with it. I don't want to mess with it. I don't care. I just want to get it over with. And uh, the Lord did exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ask or think, according to the power that worketh in me. Now, I, I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you everybody's going to get a Mercedes. I, I really, I never thought I would do that. But I'm saying that's what the Lord. If we can change our mindset from the manna mindset, from just surviving and getting by, to, and I'm not preaching the prosperity doctrine here tonight, but if we can get from that mindset of just surviving and getting by to a mindset of revival, from a mindset of being the, the stepchild to being the bride of Jesus Christ, if we can shift that mindset that, that there are things that God has in store for us, you know, I was debating telling this story because I don't, I don't know if any of you would believe me and, nor my motive for telling this story, but I will tell you this story. Bishop Wright said 100,000 people in the 80s, and he had a vision in, I believe, it was 79 or 80 of, of a massive gate and tearing down that gate and breaking through that and a, uh, a, a deluge of people that were trapped in addictions and sins and breaking through that gate. And, and coming forth. Now, I, I can't tell you when that's going to happen. I will tell you, in, in my spirit, I very well believe that it could be what God is laying the groundwork right now for to happen in October. Across this globe. You know, 35 years ago, when he was telling me about a worldwide impact, I didn't really know what he was talking about. But now we have a presence in Russia, in the Ukraine, in Singapore, in China, in, Cong in the Congo, in Zambia, 
in Liverpool next week. We have a call to war. Patrick Hemus just called me today. So around the globe, Antioch has a worldwide presence of what God is wanting to do. And so 100,000, back in the 80s, he's telling me this, the same story. And uh, I'll share this with you. And please don't, don't prejudge me on this and why I'm saying this. But several back in 2004, I was in this building. Brother Wright came down to my office and knocked on the door and said, can I? Uh, he goes, you want to go to the Navy Air Force game? And I'm like, no, I don't want to go. And he's like, well, why not? He goes, because they're going to get killed. Air Force was ranked 21st in the nation, and they were 17-point favorites. Navy had a horrible team, or so I thought. I just, you know, it's, I, I it really, I mean, sorry for admitting this, but it hurts when they lose that bad. And I don't want to go through that. He's like, no, they're going to win. And I'm like, yeah, how do you know that? He's like, no, they're going to win. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, right, go Navy, go Navy, okay, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, they're going to win, Mike. And I said, how do you know that? You can't guarantee. He goes, yes, I can. And I looked at him, and he said, look, I'm going to Pakistan on Monday. The game's Saturday. He said, I asked the Lord, should I go or not? And the Lord knows I would, excuse me, I would be depressed if Navy lost. And I really wouldn't, I want to focus on Pakistan. And I just, I can get over it, you know, if they win. But if they lose, it's not good. And um, I said, so that's how you know they're going to win? And he said, yeah. And, and, and this is before the Lord and not being a, a Navy fan, which I am a Navy fan. I, I sat in that game next to him. And he, it was almost like he was arrogant. He was so sure of himself. I'm like, how can you be so sure of yourself? Navy's losing. And every time Navy would lose the ball and look like Air Force was going to win, I'd just give him a gleaming look. You said Navy was going to win this game. And, and to this day, and I know probably none of you are Navy fans like I am, Paul Johnson, the coach back then, who's now at Georgia Tech, says that the turning around of Navy was at that game. It was the biggest upset in, uh, I don't want to say Navy history, but just about the biggest, and he attributes that win to what God had, uh, I'm attributing it. To what, I'm, I'm not saying God favored Navy, okay? I'm not saying that. But I am saying, well, I'm not, I don't think I'm saying that. But <laughs> what I am saying is that he knew and, and God told him in advance whether he should go to that game or not. Okay, so I'm not saying that, that God favored Air Force over Navy. I am saying, but he did know that. And I'm like, how in the world can you know that? And that God would give you those kind of details in advance of something. And I'm saying to you tonight that I realize 100,000 might seem far off. I realize what the bishop, what the man of God has said to the church seems at times so far off. What I'm saying to you, at least in my book, and, 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 and it's sorry for saying this, that boosted my faith, not so much in Navy, and I don't mean that, I really, this is not about Navy, but in the fact that God would speak that and he would know in advance. So, and, and Brother Wright went to Pakistan that Monday and had one of the greatest revivals that he could have, but he was not going to go to the game and waste that time if Navy lost. Now, as silly as that might be, that really happened. And, and I wish you could have been there. Brother Milton was at the game. Brother Strite was at that game. Brent was at that game. Um, and uh, 
I'm not telling you that just to be ridiculous, but I am telling you that to, to say this to you. You know, we have to fellowship with the future. We have to fellowship with the wind. He, there was a, a sternness and almost an arrogance about him that would not budge from what he knew was going to happen. Okay, now again, I'm saying, I'm not saying God caused Navy to, I'm somebody saying, he told him in advance, if Navy was going to lose, don't go. And he was that sure of himself. And what I'm saying, for 35 years, you, you know, people change, if you want to know if someone's lying or not, they change the story all along. It's been the exact same story, the exact same situation. And I'm saying to you, Antioch is coming upon the place where I believe that, that those gates of hell, that, that the revival that God has for the end time, before the coming of the Lord, before the rapture of the church, by, you know, we're, we only have two ways off of planet Earth, by resurrection or by rapture. And before that day occurs, that there will be a massive influx of souls. And, you know, you've heard him say this, and I'm not saying anything you don't know, that, that uh, from day one, this is everything he's about, is about that revival that God has promised. And, and uh, you know, the awesome thing about Antioch, and I'm, I'm coming to a close. I got probably four more pages in notes, but I'm coming to a close. The awesome thing about Antioch is, you know, we're not just one color. We're not just Latino. I was with the Latino congregation, Brother Schoenthal, last Sunday. We're not just African-American. We're not just Asian. We are one blood. And God has orchestrated these events. And that one blood trumps all of the other. Trump. I'm not for Trump. Trumps all of the other issues that might be there. And as we watch this world go crazy, and it's going crazy, I'm saying that we as the church, as the devil becomes an in-your-face devil, we need to become an in-your-face church and respond back to him in kind and meet the challenge of which he has challenged the church of the living God. You want to you challenge us? You want to be open with us, Satan? Go ahead. We'll meet the challenge. We'll stand up as a church and we'll be who we are called to be. And there are things transpiring in the spiritual realm even as we speak today. If you watched what, what the bishop said in his call to war briefing, if you watched that, then you know what is taking place all around the earth today. And, you know, this is not an announcement, and it's not a, whatever, a plug for call to war. I'm just saying what I feel in my spirit. I'm just saying you can, you can quake at the roaring of the lion, or you can respond to the pulse of the Spirit of God. God is moving today, and the miraculous is here. What, what time are we? Uh, okay, we're getting, we're getting sort of late. And, and I'll, I'll close with this thought, that it is incumbent upon us as the church to activate those promises of God. It is incumbent upon us that the Bible says that when they stopped bringing the empty vessels 
to the man of God that the oil stopped. And so, if I was to charge you tonight with one charge, with one thought, you have to bring the empty vessel. If you want to see the supernatural, you want to see the power, you want to see the flow happen, the anointing happen, well, the flow will stop when you stop bringing empty vessels. You know, I, I won't go too much into it, but I had the privilege Tuesday night, just Tuesday night, of spending an hour with a person that was a former drug dealer. And, um, man, I love him. Brother Owens, Valentino Owens, baptized him in the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, seeing the power of God work in his life. And someone that was empty, that had no hope. You know, we sat there and we talked till 10.30 almost. And, and he's having all his buddies at some kind of party for one of his relatives and going to that. And, you know, he I didn't know this. He played football for the same coach that, that I, I played football for. And he's like, you played for him? I'm like, yeah. And he, he calls out, the wing right, 22 power. And I'm like, that's when the three-man does this and the four-man does this. And he's like, how'd you know that? And so we talk for you know however long, and all those all those former football players are going to be that be there, and uh, you know the Lord has answered my prayers about empty vessels. The other half I'm still waiting on the other stuff. But what I'm saying to you tonight, and I know this was a sharp turn, but I'm saying to you because I I don't want to take up your time tonight. But I am saying to you, if you want to see the miraculous in your life, the call of the Spirit, the pulse of the Spirit in the world today is towards empty vessels. Something happens when a person is emptied out. Something happens. You know, the, the posture of a, of a Pentecostal, the, the, our old logo would have us reaching up to God and surrendering our, our, our will to God. And it's something about, about that posture of, of surrender and then claiming victory, of, of casting those things unto God. So I will close with this, this thought tonight, and then we'll, I'll turn to Brother Milton to close the service out and pray. But uh, turn, to, turn back, brethren up there, First Peter 5, 7. First Peter 5, 7. Brother Nandy, come on up. Okay. Now, and you've heard this preach, but I want to illustrate it for you just a little bit tonight. The Bible says, um, go with the one verse before that. Okay. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to, Humble yourself, okay? Not not before, well, I guess before me. Go ahead. All right. I should lay on the ground there, okay? So we understand this is the position, the prostate, prostate, the prostrate position, right? And, you know, if I was, a, if I was a, and I'm not a mean guy, but if I wanted to, I could step on him, I could break his spine, he'd have the same issues that I have. No, I'm just kidding, Andy. But, you know, this is how we think. The Bible says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. This is what we think. And yet, that is not humbling yourself. And as you heard the bishop say, next verse. The Bible says, to humble, to to do this, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Andy, come on up. Okay. Now, with your best form, okay. Look at them, look at them. Okay. Pretend you have that ball, baseball. Okay, good form here, legs apart, all right? I want you to pretend like you have a baseball and you're hurling it 90 miles per hour at that screen. Okay, ready? One, two, three, go. There you go. Casting all your care upon him, 
for he cares. That's how you humble yourself. You can't carry your burden and the Lord's burden. You can't carry two burdens at one time. Notice the next verse. This all ties together. Be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary of the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know what? I never would have thought that casting is a form of spiritual warfare. Brother Milton was in my office, and he made this statement to me. And I'm like, did you hear that somewhere? He said, prayer and fasting without casting is a formula for disaster. Did you hear that? Prayer and fasting. Did you hear that, Nandy? Prayer and fasting without casting is a formula for disaster. You know what? Pray and fast all you want. Come in that prayer room and scream it down. But if you don't cast your cares upon God, you know, the Bible says, lay aside every weight and does so, it does so easily beset you. So Satan is going to weigh you down. Without going too much, in, there's two types of, there's in the world of all the snakes, they either do, they either kill their prey by constriction or by poison. One or the other. One poisons their blood and their blood and their, the venom. The blood does not work properly. And so when we get bitter and we don't forgive, the blood doesn't work properly in our life and we bleed to death. Or the other one is through constriction and it begins to squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. I'm a big guy. Squeeze the, hey, watch that there. Squeeze the uh, air out. So you know what the Bible says? It says that the life was choked out of the seed. So, I mean, so, I won't do this to you, Nandy. But, you know, literally, the life, one-fourth of those that heard the word were choked out by the cares of this life. They wrapped themselves around them. And so I'm saying to you tonight that God is saying to, to, to combat the devil, cast your cares. Get rid of those things where the devil is trying to choke out that life and cut off your air supply. Thank you. Because we are the church of the living God. Praise God. Let's all stand. Elder Middleton. Praise God. Oh, got a, got a message for all of you young preachers. All you young preachers, raise your hand. If you have something that you are going to preach, you better keep your mouth shut. <laughs> now I have to pray and fast some more to hear from God so I can... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being a little facetious. But uh, as you can tell, he's full, full to overflowing. There's always a story. There's always a scripture. There's always a word that, uh, that flows out that benefits and blesses you. It's one thing that I really appreciate about uh, Brother Yu. He and I are very, very different. And... Uh, 
when we first started working together, I have to be honest with you. I thought, Lord, this ain't going to work. <laughs> I said, we are too different. He, he's from a whole nother world, Lord. I, but uh, we've, we seem to find a way to make it work. And, and uh, I appreciate that about him. How many of you love Brother You tonight? I'm not going to hold you long. I'm not going to hold you at all. But uh, as I was sitting there, I didn't realize he was going to turn it to me. So I was getting ready to just get up and walk out. But a um, <laughs> song came to me. It's one of the older songs that we used to sing. And I think it would serve us well here tonight, those of us that are dealing with uh, identity crisis in the Lord. You need to understand, we need to understand who we are in God. You are not some second-rate citizen. You are a child of God. And he has invested his power, his blood, and his name in you and in this church. As I was sitting there, I was thinking, the song kept going over. We've got the power, it's in the name of Jesus. We've got the power, it's in the name of the Lord. Though Satan rages, we will not be defeated. We've got the power, it's in the name of the Lord. We've got the power, it's in the name of Jesus. We've got the power, it's in the name of the Lord. Lord, though Satan rages, we will not be defeated. We've got the power, it's in the name, hallelujah, one more time everybody, if you believe it. We've got the power. It's in the name of Jesus. We've got the power. It's in the name of the Lord. Though Satan rages, we will not be defeated. We've got the power. It's in the name of the Lord. Put your hands together and bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for believing in us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for investing all of heaven in us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your power that's resident in us tonight. Praise God. 
God, we stand boldly in your power tonight. In your presence, Lord. Hallelujah. We stand firm in you tonight, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Somebody needs to be encouraged tonight. Somebody needs to be strengthened tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to receive strength in the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Remember the announcements tonight and um, your place of worship Sunday morning. And we'll see you all Sunday night as Antioch Unites. Okay? Lord bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.